Well, we're going to be studying 1 Timothy in this series, but we're actually not going to start there. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me. This building, I know most of you have come after it has already been here. We remember when we had money down on a property in another place, and that deal fell through, and then we started looking for God to open up a door, and really, it's, it's uh, just the side of miraculous, the, the provision and, and the deal that we got on the property here. And of course, then once you get the property, you want to build a building, and to build a building, you have to have blueprints, because you're an idiot if you're going to try to build a building without blueprints. It's just going by, well, you know what I think or I feel? Let's just do it by what I think or what I feel. Eh, That's not going to cut it. Not only that, but they won't let you, the authorities won't let you build if that's the way you think you're going to build. Maybe somewhere in the middle of the mountains in a western state, but not here in Minnesota. But, uh, but anyways, you have blueprints, and you develop the blueprints, and the blueprints for this building, they are in my office, actually, in one of the closets there. We don't look at them very often, simply because we don't need to, but this building has been built in three phases, and every one of those phases had blueprints drawn up. We okayed it. We had an architect You need to have a reputable architect, by the way. Now, some architects think they're the most reputable architect, but not all of them are that way. But anyways, dealing with that, the blueprints, the architect, the permit, and all of that. And all of those things go into building a structure that will stand the test of time, so to speak. All right? Well, God has a blueprint for the church. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not so much talking about the body of Christ universal. I'm talking about the local church. Because yes, it is true that when a person gets saved, they put their faith in Christ. They are baptized into the body of Christ. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. The body of Christ, all believers, we make up one body around the world. But the will of God is not for us to stop there. The will of God is for us now to, as believers, now to start local churches, local assemblies where we come together and uh, we become God's hands and feet to other people, either in the area of salvation or whatever the need is. And so in way of introduction, let me say this today, there is a free-for-all going on today when it comes to churches, when it comes to the church that you're going to have or you dream about or whatever. There are those, of course, who want to dismiss the local church as irrelevant today, saying that you can get all that you need simply by watching stuff online. And of course, that is so, you know, I'm amazed anyone who would believe that that's so out of line with the scriptures. Then there are those who create their own blueprint that is based not on scripture, but on the imagination of the leadership of that church. And that's not a good place to be either, folks. As an example of that, you come up with things such as the emergent church, which is more of a modern name for the liberal church, basically is what it comes down to with all the problems, or the purpose-driven church, Rick Warren's model, or the seeker-friendly church, Willow Creek, etc., etc., etc. You go down the line. And in these churches, when you think about it, when you compare what's going on in most of the churches today, and then you go with that, take what's going on, and then you compare it to the scripture, there's hardly any resemblance at all on what's going on. Do we wonder why the body of Christ is in 
such bad condition today. I believe part of it is that we have not followed the blueprint that God has given us for local churches. Now, let me say this. The blueprint he has given in Scripture is rare to see that actually functioning and being worked out today. What we have instead of that blueprint, we have, as I mentioned, churches built on the imagination of the leadership. And so we have things like rock music in church. And by the way, not just Christian rock music, quote unquote, rock music in church. Churches that have well-known, even classic rock and roll music in their church. That's part of what they do. That's going on today. You've got dancers in church. You've got fog machines. You've got light shows. Listen, my point is, is, is just to bring these things to your attention. I'm not going to harp on these things today. My question, though, when I think of what's going on today, okay, looking, knowing what the New Testament model is, what we see in Scripture, and then comparing it to what's going on today, my question is this, folks. What do any of those things have to do with God? What do they have to do with God? The idea is to have, in their mind, the idea is, goes this way. Well, we want to have a church that the lost people will like. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Can I tell you this? This may sound like a, a radical idea, but it's biblical. The model for the local church is designed for the people of God. It's actually not designed for the lost. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to reach the lost. It doesn't mean that we don't love the lost, that we don't minister to them, be a blessing to them, and and all the things that God makes it very clear he wants us to do, but he never designed the church for the lost. He designed the church for the believers. And the truth of it is this, folks, we're supposed to be going and reaching the lost and then bringing them in. Let's not think in this term, well, if I invite them to church, they'll get saved. You have just put up a roadblock to that person. Because basically now what you've said is, if you don't come to church, you're not going to hear the gospel from me. I'll bring you to church where you can hear the gospel at church. Now listen, let's get them saved either way, and that's better than nothing, okay? But the point, though, is this. I'm not saying uh, let's not work to get them to church because you know they're going to hear the gospel here. Let's, I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying, though, is this. If a person has to come to church to hear the gospel, isn't that kind of works for salvation? Think about it. Think about it. You know, I'm very critical of pastors who say, if you want to be saved, walk the aisle and we'll tell you how to be saved up here in the front. Well, then you've just put up a, a roadblock. You're telling a person that you're not going to tell them how to be saved unless they walk forward. Where's that in the Bible? Where does it say in the Bible If you want to be saved, you have to come to church. Doesn't say that. Once you're saved, you ought to come to church. Why? Because the church is for believers. Now again, we're very open to those who don't know Christ the Savior, and we want to reach them and love them and everything like that. And yeah, sure. If you don't have the answers, bring them to church, and there's somebody here who will be glad, including myself, more than happy to share the gospel with them one-on-one and try to lead them to Christ. But all these other things that are going on, this idea that we need to have a church that lost people like, is that really the right mindset? Listen, if that's really what it's supposed to be, I would think that the Bible would tell us that. But it doesn't. 
God has given us a blueprint in the Bible as to how the local church is to be. It is our responsibility to look at God's pattern and then follow the pattern. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, why did I just say that? Because here's what happens. Well, I don't know. You know, the pattern in Scripture, that seems kind of outdated. We need something new to reach modern society today. You know what you've just done? You have become the authority. You have elevated your opinion above what God says. You're walking by sight. You're not walking by faith. It is our responsibility to look at God's pattern and then follow it. We will give an account to him on how well we do that. All right, now, 1 Timothy is the first of three pastoral epistles written by Paul. The other two are 2 Timothy and also Titus. 1 Timothy was written around A.D. 63, after Paul's first imprisonment. And it's written to Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Well, he was a child. Well, he's a man at this point, a young man, but he was a child of a mixed marriage. His mom was a Jewish believer. His dad was a Greek. Not much is said about his dad. Acts 16.1 is about all you're going to get on this, as well as in 2 Timothy. But he was raised in a home where he heard and was taught the word of God. Now, I don't think he got saved when he was growing up as we'll see in the text. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, unhypocritical faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. During Paul's travels, I believe he led Timothy to Christ, and Timothy started traveling with Paul, and Paul started to disciple Timothy, as far as the ministry goes, assisting him, or Paul allowing Timothy to assist him in his ministry. Eventually, he was left, Timothy was left to pastor the church at Ephesus and um, to lead the ministry there. And, and of course, that church has its own epistle, the epistle to the Ephesians, one of the prison epistles. Also, God directs comments to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, doesn't he? Very, very important. Now, the theme of 1 Timothy is church order and function. Church order and function. The body of Christ, and here's the context, the body of Christ was growing worldwide and clear guidelines needed to be set to keep things correct, both doctrinally and in an orderly way, honoring biblical truth. So things were going, the church was growing, people were getting saved, believers were getting discipled, they knew that they were supposed to have local church, but it's like, okay, somebody's got to come up with a blueprint on how these churches are to operate. Well, that's First and Second Timothy and Titus. That's what we see in them. Now, there are many issues in these six short chapters that we're going to be covering, many issues addressed in First Timothy. One, True theology or doctrine, especially in chapters 1 and 4. Prayer and its power, chapter 2. The different roles of men and women, chapter 2. Proper church government and leadership, chapter 3. Proper care for widows, and the term in the Bible is widows indeed. All right, that's what the King James has. 
widow being not somebody who's simply a widow, but somebody who is a widow who their family, they have no family to take care of them. So they're literally on their own. They have no support system. And then how to deal with various problems that would and do come up, chapters 5 and 6, and then in chapter 6, proper view of money and its use. And so these are very, very practical and helpful things for the local church. Now, the key verses, and I want you to see this, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14. And it says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, now you notice these things I write unto thee. I'm writing these things to you for a reason, Tim. But if I tarry very long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God or the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That says a lot about the church, by the way, doesn't it? How important is it? It's the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. It is a foundational, absolutely necessary thing that should be in the life of believers. Now, listen, I have to put this disclaimer in. I do it a lot because there's different people who watch us online and so forth. They'll say, well, are you saying that because I can't find a church that I'm out of, I'm out of God's will, I'm not a fellowship, I'm in sin, and, and all these kind of things? Of course, I've never said that. What I'm saying, though, is this. If there is a good local church that you can go to that's doctrinally sound, you should be going there. You should be plugged in. You ought to be a member there. You ought to be active there in that church because that is God's will for you if that's possible. If you don't have a local church in the area that's doctrinally sound, then start praying for one, okay? And if you're a man and you're qualified according to the principles we'll see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and you qualify, then maybe you're the one who should start the church to where you have a sound local church in your area that you can go to and provide for other people. We have to be thinking in terms of how can we fulfill the will of God? How can we do that as believers? Now let's go to chapter one. In chapter one, verses one and two, we see the greeting from Paul. He says this in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Okay, some important words there to break down. The first one is the word apostle. Now, most of us know this already because he uses the phrase a lot in the other letters, but the word apostle, it simply means a sent one, a sent one. Paul was commissioned by the Lord himself when he trusted Christ as Savior. Paul had the office of an official apostle, but we all as believers are sent ones. So yes, the apostles officially we're sent ones, but by application, we are also sent ones. We're not apostles. I know there's some denominations today that say, you know, their leadership, their apostles and all that. Nope, you're not. You're not. There are no apostles today like there were. However, everyone who's born again should be a sent one. And in that sense, fulfilling that ministry. He was commanded by God to go, and we are all commanded by the Lord to share the gospel with the world around us. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Isn't that interesting, by the way? He said, go into all the world. He didn't say, 
do all you can to get them to church so they can hear the gospel. Now, there are people who won't come to church, but if we lead them to Christ, then there's a better chance that they will come out to church. And again, there's nothing wrong with bringing them to church so that they hear the gospel and put their faith in Christ. But still, the word, the commission is to go. Now, you notice it says, um, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior. That term right there, God our Savior. And then it says, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Now, some people might get confused by that. Some might think this is a contradiction and that the Bible says, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is our Savior. What do you mean God is our Savior? Jesus Christ is our Savior. Well, which is true? Both are true. (laughs) Okay? Jesus Christ is God. But God, the triune God, or if you want to break this down to thinking it's talking about just God the Father here, God has provided salvation for us. And the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the means of receiving it. So there's no contradiction here. God is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. God is our Savior in that he provided the sacrifice through the Son to give us eternal life to all who will put their faith in Christ. Even in the Old Testament in Isaiah 43, 11, Jehovah speaking, he says in Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Now, I love using these verses with Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. Because then in Luke 2, 11, by the way, those are easy to remember, Isaiah 43, 11, Luke 2, 11, both verses are 11. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Simple algebra. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Okay? If Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Savior, he's God, and he's the Savior. And if Jesus of the New Testament is the Savior, and there's only one according to Isaiah 43, 11, then Jesus must be Jehovah. God in the flesh. You see? So important to realize this. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says, is our hope. And I love that because man in himself is hopeless. The world seems hopeless. I mean, you look at what's going on. There were, what, two more mass shootings last night, I believe. We're going crazy. For a lot of people, it does seem hopeless. But there is hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope, okay? Man in himself is hopeless. The world seems hopeless, but this is why Jesus came into the world, to provide for us salvation, to provide for us a way to live with him forever in heaven. It was to pay for our sins and to save us, but this wouldn't matter if he didn't come back from the dead. He would just simply be a well-intentioned person. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This hope, Jesus Christ, that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, you're going to look at verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or a living hope. Now I love this. How? How? Now, I'm one of those people. By the way, if you're a student of the Bible, you should be one too. How? Why? Where? When? Ask those questions. It opens up the Bible. Hath begotten us again unto a lively hope 
How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus would not have come back from the dead, there would be no hope. He would be no different than another religious leader. If Jesus Christ did not come back from the dead, he would not have been God. He would have been a victim to his own sin, the wages of sin being death. But he conquered death and offers life. And in that life, when you put your faith in Christ the Savior, he is our living hope, our living hope, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Hey, it's summertime. People go on vacation. People stay in hotels. And you know what? It's a great thing when you've made reservations and you get to your hotel and you've driven all day and you're worn out and you're this and you're that and you go to the front desk and you say, uh, yes, can I help you? Yes, reservations for, and you give your name and they look and they look and they look and they say, I don't see your name here and we're completely full. Wouldn't that be a disaster? Has that ever happened to any of you, by the way? Anybody? One, two, three. Okay, there's three. Any on this side? All the unfortunates are over here. (laughs) I don't recall if it ever happened to us. Something tells me it did at one time, but I'm not sure about that. Maybe I'm just being a pessimist. I don't know. But anyway, reservations. Guess what, folks? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, reservations were made for you in heaven. And listen, God is never incompetent. All right? And can I also tell you this? There's room for everybody. So you're not going to run out of rooms. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, you have reservations in heaven reserved for you. Now look at this. Reserved for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, through faith in Christ, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, now look at this. If this is me and this is the Lord... When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I took him as my Savior, and he saved me. He saved me. Guess what? I am kept by the power of God. How did that take place? It was through faith unto salvation. Now, I may fail. I may become weak at times, okay? I may get bitter at God at times or whatever. He says, listen, I've got you. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You are secure in Christ. You are just as secure in Christ as Jesus Christ is God. And he says, when you trust him as savior, he'll never cast you out. He'll never lose you. He's going to keep you and he's not going to let you go. People say today, well, you know, yeah, no one will pluck me out of his hand, but I can jump out of his hand. That's just silly talk. It's not what the Bible teaches. We are eternally secure. We are kept by the power of God. We're not kept by our faithfulness. We're not kept by our good works. We're not kept by keeping on, keeping on. We're not kept by being faithful. We're kept by the power of God based on what? Faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. We don't deserve it. Ready to be revealed in the last time. See, folks, this is... This is what grace is about, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Grace, unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. We are saved by grace. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved, not works. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? In Jesus Christ and the death payment and the resurrection he made for you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You can't save yourself. It is the gift of God. The gift. Look at it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. No amount of good works can ever save you because you've got to be perfect to get into heaven and you're not. Here we are, you and me, my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. Our sin separates us from God. We're all sinners. And God says, I can't let you into heaven with even one sin. Because heaven's a perfect place. For you to get in, you got to be perfect. No one is. Therefore, we got a serious problem. If we die with that, in that condition, we're going to be separated from God in hell for all eternity. God doesn't want that for us. Therefore, what did he do? He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Savior, sent the thing that would bring that salvation to us, or the person, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and he took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment so we don't have to. He did all the work. He was buried. He came back from the dead to prove it was done. So how much sin do you have left? See, here's the thing. When you put your faith in Christ that he made that payment for you, all your sin is forgiven. How much, therefore, is left? No sin is left. So then what is going to send you to hell? There's nothing that can send you to hell once you've put your faith in Christ because your sins have been all taken care of. Past, present, future. They're all taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're saved by grace. We don't deserve it, but God does it for us. It is the gift of God. Heaven is a gift. You can't earn it. You simply receive it. If I was to offer you my iPad and you were to take it, what would you have? An iPad. When would you have it? When you take it. If I was to offer you my Bible and you were to take it, what would you have? Bible. When would it be yours? when you take it. God offers you eternal life. Heaven is a gift. He's offering it to everyone in the room. When would it be yours? When you take it. Okay. He can offer it to you, but if you don't take it, you don't receive it. You don't have it. So you need to trust Christ to save you. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You might say at this speed, we're going to be here till the millennium. Well, no, we'll be raptured before then. But what's your hurry? Amen? You know, I I think scriptures are clear. We're going to be studying the Bible for eternity. It's going to be a marvelous thing. In the kingdom age, the nations of the world will come up to Jerusalem to be taught by Jesus. Think of that. It's in Isaiah. Think of that. Bible studies at 11 with Jesus. When are they over? They're never over. Just come. He'd love for you to come. 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, it says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers who taught him God's truth, but as I understand the Scriptures, he didn't trust Christ until Paul's ministry reached him. Now, that, but let me say this. Uh, some parents live with a lot of guilt with those, when those kind of things happen. Friend, you can't make your children believe. And you can't pretend they're believers if they're not. 
This is something they have to decide on their own. You make the gospel clear, you explain it, they understand their need of a savior because they're a sinner, and they themselves believe, put their faith in Jesus Christ as savior. It's not something you can make them believe. And sometimes people just don't get it until later. But praise the Lord, everyone who does get it, right? Now it says here in verse two, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, as I mentioned, unmerited favor or kindness. Mercy, another word for mercy is compassion. Some have said mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's true. Please be merciful to me. Grace is getting something wonderful we don't deserve. That's true also. And then peace. Now this is interesting, the word peace. It's a concept of rest, having rest, okay? The opposite is chaos, or disorder. Did you know, folks, when we trust Christ the Savior, we are saved by grace. We're also saved by mercy, according to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. But can I tell you this? God wants you to experience his peace. When you trust Christ the Savior, you have peace with God, Romans 5, 1, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God wants us to have a daily peace in our lives. This has to do with our walk with Christ. It is what the Lord brings to us as recipients, as not only his salvation, but our walking with him by faith. God will give us peace in our lives. I'm not saying there aren't times of challenge. There are times of challenge. But the challenge remains, and the facts are still the same. And that's why we need the Bible to remind us of those things, to remind us. 2 Timothy 2.16 talks about hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, okay, and then comfort. So we see first, here in, back to 1 Timothy 1, we see first the greeting in verses 1 and 2. But then secondly, and this is where it starts getting a little intense, we see the warning in verses 3 and 4. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, I find it very interesting as he's talking about here in 1 Timothy and he's giving instructions to this young pastor named Timothy, he says, charge some that they teach no other doctrine, that they don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. The first thing he mentions here in his letter is doctrinal purity. Doctrinal purity is the first thing. Can I tell you folks by experience, as I hear what's going on and I understand what, what's happening, and I'll see different things about this ministry, that ministry, and all the things currently going on in quote-unquote Christendom. One of the last things on the mind of so-called Christians today is doctrinal purity. One of the last things on their mind. They're more concerned today with things like critical race theory and, and uh, apologizing to the homosexual community for not being nice to them in the past and, and all these kind of things going on instead of saying, no, you know what, we really do need to be concerned with being true to the scriptures. And that's one of the main reasons we have the mess we do today. We should be aware of false teaching and false teachers. Very little is being taught on that today. 
And I think this is one of the most glaring departures from God's blueprint we see today in the churches. No, listen, a local church that all they do is get a steady diet of everything that's wrong with every ministry on the planet, that's not healthy. We do need some of that, though. There needs to be a warning. That's part of the ministry is that the sheep get warned about the wolves and naming the wolves, who they are, to stay away from. But yet you don't hear much about it today. Yet so much of what Paul wrote in his letters were actually warnings about false teaching and false teachers that were either present already, these issues, or coming to the churches in the future. And he said, beware. Remember what he said in Acts uh, chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders? He said, listen, you're going to be attacked from the outside. And when I leave, there's going to, people are going to rise up from the inside of your church and cause a problem. This is serious. See, here's the truth. You can't stand for the truth if you don't know what it is. This is why churches need to be preaching the word of God. They need to be preaching all the word of God, all the principles that are here. And when false teaching and doctrines come up and they start becoming popular, pastors need to take to the pulpit and they need to start preaching and showing and exposing why these things are heretical, damaging doctrines. And if he won't do that, he's not fulfilling part of the ministry God's called him to do. But most people don't want to hear that today. Why is that? Can I tell you why most people don't want to hear it? Because many of the ministries they're already in are teaching false doctrine and man's opinions to begin with instead of scripture. And so they're raised on error. So when they do hear the truth, they think the truth is false because there's so much error that's out there today. What a disaster. Look with me. Hold your place here. Remember that in verse... uh, Verse 4, neither give heed to fables. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This passage of Scripture, and and I confess, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, through 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, that is probably my most favorite passage of Scripture for me that there is in the world. I cannot read that and not get charged up and excited about ministry. But it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, right after Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, verse 2, preach the word. And by the way, he didn't say, now there's a time for sharing it. There's a time for simply teaching it. That's not the word Paul used. He said, preach, herald out the word. Be like a human megaphone with the scriptures. Preach the word. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure, put up with sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The people have itching ears, so they look tickle. They want their ears tickled, so they look for preachers that'll tickle their ears. They don't like what they hear at church, so they'll go on the internet and find somebody who agrees with them. Listen, that's the wild, wild west. You're going to find lots of people who agree with you. That's not the question. The question is, are you right? Are you right? After their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto, there's that word again, fables, make-believe stuff, stuff that's not true, but it sounds good. I want to believe that. 
So you end up with stuff like we've talked about before, contemplative mystical theology, this deeper life mystical stuff that's feeling-oriented and experience-oriented, where you're waiting and you're becoming still and you're waiting and waiting. Okay, I'm waiting for God to speak to me, okay? And, and all the other things that are going on and these, these, all these different methods that are nothing more than witchcraft, really, I say, boy, that's a strong statement. It's true. Contemplative mystical theology, prosperity gospel. Can you believe anybody would buy into, no pun intended, the prosperity gospel? Why would you go into that? You know why people go into it? Because the people who are doing it, who are doing it, they got big smiles on their faces. If it's a woman preacher, she's very nice looking. They're rich, and the reason they're rich is not because it works. The reason they're rich is because they duped you into believing it. So you give them your money, and they're rich, but you're not. But it's popular today. Lordship salvation. So many people believe in the false gospel of lordship salvation. Using so-called Bibles that misrepresent what God actually says. Folks, they just keep flooding the market. Here's a new translation. Here's a better translation. Or this really captures it. And it's not even close to what the Bible says. But people buy into it. Why? Because they're not being taught the Word of God and they're not learning it the way they should. Folks, while this may not be a big deal today with many Christians, it is a big deal with God. Because these things are wreaking havoc to local churches wreaking havoc. And I cannot tell you the damage, the damage that is being done to good local churches through people in the churches spending all their time on the internet listening to preachers who are either Pentecostals or Arminian or this or that, but because they've got some things that they're saying are true, they get sucked into it hook, line, and sinker. Listen, local church, we are accountable in the local church. These people are not accountable. Chances are many times you email them, you'll never hear back from them. Or if you do, it'll be somebody who works for them, not them. Paul tells Timothy to pay attention to three vital issues very quickly here. First, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, that they teach no other doctrine. <laughs> A doctrine that is different. Different from what? Well, different from the truth found in Scripture. Truth matters. Truth matters. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Secondly, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Okay? Fables there. It's a Greek word, muthos. And we get our word myth from it. These things are myths. They're make-believe things. They're not true. But people get sucked into them. Endless genealogies, which minister questions. Endless genealogies. You might say, how does that work out? I'll tell you how it works out. In the day, there were Jewish false teachers, and to support their position, what they would do is they would go, well, look, this person in our heritage, and this person in our heritage, and this person, and they would fall back on people of the past to support their false position. Now listen, I know this is not necessarily a genealogy, although I guess theologically it would be. But by the way, that's going on today. You know who's doing that? The Calvinists. Did you know the vast majority of Calvinistic theology today is based on ancient church fathers? They're going back on their spiritual genealogy. Well, this is true because 
Augustine or whoever it was said this. Oh, Catholic. Catholic. Well, this is true because John Calvin said this. John Calvin, folks, he was like a Protestant pope. He had people martyred. Don't tell me how spiritual he was if he martyred people who disagreed with his position. Serious, endless genealogies. But rather, give heed to godly edifying, which is by faith. The godly edifying here is not the same as in Ephesians, but they're related, but it's not the same. This word edifying here is actually the word that is the same word, root word as the dispensation or stewardship in the Bible. In other words, here's what he's saying here. Give heed to godly edifying, which is by faith. The godly edifying is a proper stewardship of the church so it can accomplish its mission. Give heed to making sure your church is in order and you're doing it according to scripture so that God can use you to reach people for Christ. The goal, the other kind of godly edifying. Proper function, you see, can bring growth spiritually and numerically. Ephesians 4.12 talks about the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The building up. There the word is building up, both numerically and also in quality or spirituality. Right? One last passage. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I know we've covered a lot of technical things and there wasn't a lot of flow with this today, but these are foundational things that you have to put in place to build upon it. Okay? We need to understand this. And if you don't get anything else out of the message, okay, if you're already a believer, get this. Get this, okay? The first thing mentioned in 1 Timothy is doctrinal purity. That was the first thing Paul wanted Timothy to know for his church to be in order. Your doctrine's got to be right. That's why we spend time on this stuff. John chapter 3 Perhaps you're here and you don't know where you're going when you die. You can get it settled today. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's faith, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Just that simple. He that believeth not is condemned already. It's just that simple. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us. He was buried and he rose from the grave. He's completely paid for our sin. But the payment he made for our sin is not good on our behalf until we put our faith in him and him alone as our Savior. If you haven't done that, would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.